I worked at an agency, was, I was the only black male in Atlanta that worked at this agency and it was servicing primarily African-American people. You know what I mean? And they looking at me when I pulled up, like, oh, he the police, like, what you doing over here? Like, no, I'm your counselor, like, it's cool. But even looking at me with suspect eyes, because they're usually seeing a white person is usually, again, when there's some kind of legal involvement. And so it's like, oh, shoot, okay, all right, this guy might be all right, you know? So it's, I guess because I didn't grow up in that, you know, situation or I didn't have certain privileges, I just fell through the cracks when it came to this. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, John. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. So maybe you could share just a little bit about your personal and professional background for this conversation. Okay. And I meant to say, I'm glad to be here. I, I didn't oh, know. Really? I was, I oh, was waiting, for the, uh-huh. waiting for the pause I, and I missed mm. the pause. You gave me one and I just mm. did. So mm. my apologies. Oh, thanks. I, I was feeling awkward there. I was just kind of <laughs> hanging out. I kind of, I kind of sensed it. I was like, Whoa, that was my cue. I blew <laughs> it. Okay. I apologize. This is starting off great. Uh, yes. Well, I am John Parker, um, licensed professional counselor. There's all different acronyms and all the other stuff that I have behind my name, but we'll just go with that for now. I'm originally from East St. Louis, Illinois. That's where I was born, Uh, but I was brought up in Southern California and I feel like I was raised in like the Bay Area, Oakland, California. And I, I don't know, I found this career kind of by happenstance. I've had a lot of careers. I'm a Grammy nominated audio engineer. I used to run a tax office. I did that for like forever. I was a, what is that in the banking industry? Personal banker, I guess you could say for a company for a while. I've been a road manager for recording artists. I've done a lot of things, but when I stumbled upon this career, I thought that this was something that was important, not only for me, but for communities that people look like me, that were raised like me, and maybe not even raised like me, just look like me. Uh, I thought it was important for African-American, Black people, whatever the whatever acronym we're going with today. So so you are a Black man. I am. Yes. I am. yes. And, you know, along with a host of other identities that are yes. important to you, and you bring a lot of just life experience to the mm-hmm. table. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about yourself and like, how did you find counseling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I preface this a lot of times when I talk to people, I grew up in an era where I had two kind of role models of like black maleness um, and it's going to date me, but it is what it is. So on one side of the coin, it was Tupac Shakur. And on the other side of the coin, it was Theo Huxtable. And so it was either you're in the streets, you're down for the cause, you're thugging it out, you ain't taking no nothing, blah, blah, blah. And you just had this hood persona. Or you're kind of some square, Theo Huxbo, who's got a, a lawyer and a doctor for a father. You live well off and your biggest issue is you snuck and got your ear pierced and your dad was trying to figure out why you did that, you know. And so it was kind of like there wasn't room for middle ground. There wasn't room for, hey, I do like to, well, you can skateboard because California, but like, hey, I do like to wear, have you ever seen Vibram shoes with the toes in them? If I would have worn some Vibrams in the neighborhoods I grew up in, it would have been a bad situation. I, I'd have, Yeah, it would have been bad. So as an adult, I'm like, oh, I like to wear Vibrams. Oh, I like to climb mountains. Oh, I like to mountain bike. Oh, I like to do a lot of things that weren't just accessible to me because of 
the fear of, you know, be getting picked on or ridiculed. Um, and so I had to hide my identity as far as like loving books. I had a microscope and a telescope when I was a kid uh, and I liked stargazing. I liked camping. There's a lot of things I like to do that wasn't traditionally black in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And so I think for me, that kind of shaped my chameleon-like identity in high school. I had my seven best friends, two of them were Korean, one was Vietnamese, one was from Iran, uh, so Persian, the other one was Jewish, the other one was mixed, it was me. So it was kind of like, those. that was my core. But when I wanted to do basketball stuff, I hung out with the Hoopers. When I wanted to do hood rat stuff, I hung out with the hood rats. When I wanted to do chase girls, I hung out with my boys that was about that life, you know? So I was able to navigate those things while developing a, a personality, but I still had to hide certain things about myself. So if that answers that like background piece. Yeah, um, no, I just, I love learning more about you. And I appreciate what you're saying about kind of the stereotypes that were offered to you as a young black person were both so limiting in their own ways. Um, and that you found ways to, as you said, like navigate and try to give life to those different parts of you, but it was still limiting on yeah, some yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. Without incriminating to myself, even though I went to UC Berkeley undergrad and even though I'm at Berkeley, I still found myself gravitating towards people that were similar in background to what I knew back home in the hood. So I'm work, I'm at Berkeley and I'm working with certain people that had lived in the community and didn't go to Berkeley. And I found myself doing things that probably could have gotten me, you know, hemmed up by the law. And I'm like, I just realized like, why am I doing this? But I don't have to do this. I don't have to impress these people. But I just found myself in a space where it was either be like these dudes at Cal that I didn't like, um, or these guys that I actually like them, they're up to shenanigans, but this is kind of where I fit in. So even in that institution as a Ivy League of the West, I'm still finding myself like having this wrestle and this tension of like, where do I belong? You know, and what yeah. group of people do I fit in with? Yeah, which really is so powerful then to fast forward to today and we can mm -hmm. certainly backtrack as well, but thinking about where you are as a counselor now mm -hmm. um, to folks who I imagine could relate, if not to that exact story, to just growing up as Black in the United States where the cultural stereotypes are so limiting, no matter where you live, that just this country doesn't offer you. I was watching an episode of uh, Lovecraft Country last uh -huh. night, and uh -oh. the uh -oh. the one where she um where it gets really wild, and uh -huh. she goes to because she goes to another dimension, yes. and mm -hmm. and it's all about like the power to name herself, to mm -hmm. name, and to be as big as she wants to be. As a white woman, I didn't have to navigate much of that stuff. Yeah. Like the world was my oyster, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just thinking about your passion for counseling people who aren't used to finding a counselor who looks like you in the yeah. field. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a, I, man, you're good at what you do. I don't know if you meant to do that segue, but that's kind of like how I came about being in this field, as you asked me before, right? Side note, that is a, another episode for another day, but just the idea of the name, right? So you have a lot of issues in black community where you're like, Muhammad Ali changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. You know, all these different things happen because of like your slave name versus the name that you want to be called. And I think there's a lot of still to this day, like something to the core of that. And I think that that, again, we'll save that for another day, but just the idea of like walking around, my, I'm John Parker, John Anderson Parker. I have the whitest name that's possible, but I feel like it's gotten me a lot of good looks on applications. I feel like it's gotten me a lot of, you know what I mean? And that's a thing, that's a thing. That's a whole nother conversation too, but like not naming your son Laquan or Tyrone or whatever, 
you know, anyway, so. No, Austin Channing Brown talks about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. same thing. And yep. and I think that that would be a powerful conversation to have just yeah. devoted to that issue. Okay. Um, See, so you brought me back. I'll bring it back. So getting into counseling, right? Um, so I was working at a, what they call a residential treatment facility. So it's like a glorified group home. So you have a bunch of kids. There's different units. It's like a college. There's dorms and then there's a school on campus and there's the nurse and whatever, whatever. And so my role there was counselor, like same way you spelled it, counselor. But my job was to like hem up the kids and make sure they didn't kill each other while I dodged getting spit on. You know what I mean? That that was, I was a counselor. So I was like, oh, this is what counseling is. Like I had no, I'm 20 something years old when I first get this job, like 25 years old. Only counselor I knew growing up was the school counselor. Um, and then my academic advisor when I was in college, right? So I didn't pay, there was no Dr. Phil at the time on TV. Frazier came along at some point in time, but I was in there like radio and I was like, oh, that'd be cool one day to talk to people about their problems. Maybe I'll be like, what is it? One of those, those columnists. I can't think of any of their names, the older white ladies, um, any of those columnists. Like Dear Abby or like something? Like Dear Abby. There you go. Abby just, yep. Dear Abby. So I was like, okay, I could be a Dear Abby like that. Oh, that's counseling. Okay, cool. So one day um, while I'm dodging spit and, you know, having to escort children to the quiet room, um, because that's what you do in my job. I noticed there was this older white lady that would come in all the time. She would go into this little side office. The kids would light up like Christmas trees when they saw her. They run to her, Miss Nancy or whatever her name was. Oh, I'm like, oh man, this is very strange. I'm here, I'm working overnight shifts in this building with these kids, making sure they don't run out, making sure they don't do nothing to each other, make sure nothing happens. I'm taking them to appointments. I'm helping them learn how to tie their shoe. I'm helping them brush their teeth, but they want to hit me. They want to fight me. They want to spit on me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why this lady who's barely here, she's here for a few hours during the day. You love her so much. Miss Nancy, what do you do, Miss Nancy? Who are you, Miss Nancy? Why do the children love you? Why are you Pied Piper in these children all the place? They're just happy to follow you wherever you go. And so she's like, oh, I'm a therapist. I'm a therapist. Okay, cool. Nope, I don't. What does that What's mean? What's that? Yeah. What is that? Again, I'm 20 some years old, right? And she's like, oh, well, this is my, this is what I do. So she comes, I tone her off. She shows me like the sand tray. She shows me like all these toys she has. She has like the no-no square toys. Like, did you touch it here? Did you touch it there? Like, what well, you know, all these, I'm like, oh, shoot. Like you're talking to kids about real stuff. Like, oh, okay. This is, this is absolutely what these kids need. Right. Cause they come from all these backgrounds. And so it dawned upon me. I was like, yo, I grew up to the age of 25, I was this day old when I found out what a therapist is, what they're supposed to do, what they can do, and how this can inform someone's life, like how this can help, especially these children that are brought in for all these like traumatic, traumatic, traumatic experiences or whatever. And I was like, yo, what would it look like to be a black man, to look like these kids that are in this dorm unit, this, this facility that I'm in, to have somebody that looks like me that can relate on the level. Like I love Miss Nancy and I'm sure she has game. She's got enough for the children to love her. But I'm just imagining if someone that grew up that runs the same streets that because when I see when they run away, I see them when I'm off. I'm like, man, I should really get little Nathan, but I'm not on duty right now. So I'm gonna let him hang out. And when I get back to work, I'm gonna say I saw Nathan down the street. But like we're in the same places from the same areas, grew up very similar. Um, And so I said I thought to myself, that would be amazing if I, you know, got into this career field and see where it went. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story, John. That's really powerful. And it's also really telling that you made it to 25 without knowing about like therapy, mental health counseling. Like, I think that speaks to a failure of our country. I mean, there's a lot of factors to that, that because the field has historically looked so much like Nancy, that there might be some reasons to distrust the field too, but also just like 
my dad like dragged me to my first counselor when I was 13 and she sucked. Yeah. So we went to a different one, <laughs> but even that kind of agency that I had yeah. as a white person that, that, Oh, well, if that one sucked, like we can go to somebody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just yeah. striking. And it's funny that you mentioned that because that's a joke. I don't know if it's non-black counselors. It will be like, man, somebody called me the other day. I think they were white. Asked me what I see somebody five years old. I'm like, well, a five-year-old is getting counseling, bro? Like, what is that? Like, that is that is amazing. Like, that's all the way good. But then I'm, I'm wondering why at the same time. But like the fact that that is something that that's in that parent's mind. That that you know? resource is available right, and they right, know right. that resource is available. Yep, yeah. Yep. I think another thing I learned too, as I was working in another agency, like long down the line when I was trying to get my licensure after graduation, my master's, is that I do think some black people do have interactions with therapy counseling but it usually comes at that lower end of the SES when it's like, because it's mandated or it's a part of court ordering or it's a part of like CPS, you know, child protective services. So now a counselor's coming to the house and now they're like, you know, don't fuss while the counselor's here. Don't cuss while the counselor's here. Y'all turn down that music over there. Stop smoking that weed. You know, if I'm being stereotypical, but in the sense of like, it's almost like prison, a pipeline, like, yeah, a counselor comes when something has happened. And now you're seeing like, I worked at an agency was, I was the only black male in Atlanta that worked at this agency and it was servicing primarily African-American people. You know what I mean? And they were looking at me when I pulled up, like, oh, he the police. Like, what you doing over here? Like, no, I'm your counselor. Like, it's cool. But even looking at me with suspect eyes, because they're usually seeing a white person is usually, again, when there's some kind of legal involvement. And so it was just like, oh, shoot, okay. All right, this guy might be all right. You know, so it's, I guess, because I didn't grow up in that, you know, situation or I didn't have certain privileges. I just fell through the cracks when it came to this. Yeah, that's so important that, depending on your background, the people who have had experience with quote unquote counselors or therapists have, those therapists have been in more of a policing role, mm -hmm. right? Coming in and, and ha have a whole lot of power and a whole mm -hmm. lot of ability to really, you know, take your rights away mm -hmm. if they see certain things or believe certain things and that yeah. that can feel just like an extension of the relationship um, that communities of color have had with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's definitely not uh, therapeutic. <laughs> no, no. And so if that's, if that's the extent of the exposure or I, I wonder that about what it takes for say, uh, you know, let's just say since you're a black man, like I'm thinking a black male college student who has never received counseling and is going through something hard, like what are they up against to even consider? Yeah. It's, it's usually last ditch. I went through my whole undergraduate situation and I had, I took five years. It was, you know, super senior. It was a lot of stuff happening in my life that I promise you, it would never even cross my mind. Like I ended up like in a cult because I was looking for some, like, this is not a joke. I literally ended up in a cult for seven years because I was looking for a way out of my circumstances situation. And I ran, my friend introduced me to this older dude and I was like, oh man, they really showing me how to like get my life right, how to get out of these streets, how to like work on cars, like how to fix a roof, like all this man stuff that wasn't happening because my parents got divorced and you know, uh, my dad left my general area when I was about 15. So it was kind of like, I missed a lot of that stuff. And so I got sucked right into this cult because there's this charismatic leader, this dude that was willing to take me under his wing and show me all this man stuff. And I'm like, man, if I had only had a counselor at that time, you know what I mean? This, this, this cult thing wouldn't have been such a hold on me, you know? Oh, that's so, thank you again. Cause yeah, I 
found someone similar in my college years, although I also did have therapists, but, <laughs> but I just, that sense of we're so impressionable in college, mm -hmm. we're trying so hard or, or that at that age to find ourselves, to figure out where we fit in the world, mm -hmm. what our calling is. And there's so many unanswered questions, yeah. a lot of pain, a lot of confusion mm -hmm. and the, the vulnerability to somebody who says that they know, like yeah. they know the right way, mm -hmm. whether or not they have your best interest at heart. Mm -hmm that's real. And I think that that's an easy, you know, whether it's through a guru or through a subculture or something. Yeah. It's just an extra vulnerable time. How, how would counseling have been different than joining a cult or, um, or even just like, how is counseling different than following someone who's professing to really know the answers? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a real thing because I wish for me at the time, it's, it's becoming a little less stigmatized now, but like, the idea of even knowing. So I, for me, it wasn't even stigma. Like, I just didn't know. Like, again, my guidance counselor or academic advisor, because I switched my ways a major couple of times, that was it. And they didn't even put me on like, hey, man, maybe talk to somebody in counseling. But it was just never a thing, right? So it was a situation where if I would have had, I think, someone who didn't even have to look like me, like that, we, we don't even have to get to, like just someone that could say, hey, let's, like use some CBT to help you process through your thinking, like you're catastrophizing, you're like feeling like the world's going to end. Like I had a point in time where five of my good friends all got murdered over an eight month period, uh, all gunned down, all murdered, all under the age of 25. And I'm, you know, I'm fresh out of college. And it was just like, that's never been processed. Like it never, ever, like to this day, like I have, there's a, there are, there are obituaries in my house in my little area. I, I, I do drop a few tears or whatever the case may be. But if I was to sit down and think about even, any one of them right now, I would be gone for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? So to the point where I still need to process that, that was a curveball. But the idea that in college, I'm out of the hood, I'm out of the environment, people are still getting murdered that I know that are like a guy that I went to school with. Like it was just a lot of stuff happening, right? And so being able to process education, being able to process my feelings about what was going on, being able to process love life, being able to process like, political climate, like all of these different things, what I think would have significantly impacted me in such a way that 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 cult life wouldn't have been something I held on so strongly to. Even when I realized that this cult wasn't it, I still was sucked in on a level where like emotionally I was drawn in. So if I was even talking to a therapist like, yo, these things don't make sense. They could be like, well, maybe they don't make sense because you're something within you is telling you that it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? And you're wrestling with something that probably you need to listen to a voice or something, you know? And so just not having that guidance, I think was, fortunately I made it out, but I think it would have done so much for, for me in terms of just not, you know, again, switching majors 15 times, again, getting caught up with situations that I had no business getting caught up in, using my logic and reasoning and intuitive nature and actually letting that be something that was promoted as opposed to me just being like, oh, I'm tripping or, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to send you there. I'm not trying to. No, I know. know. And I know that you, I know that you said you can't, you can't really go there because you'll stay there for a while, but I'm I mean, just, I can't you know, in this context. Yeah, in this yeah, context, yeah. I'm do it. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, I'm struck by like all the things that were happening for you. And then like, I, from what I'm understanding is it's mm -hmm. really hard to be black in America without carrying some level of trauma just from the discrimination related trauma that happens in this country on a daily basis or at least a very regular basis. And again, that's not, every, I can't speak for everyone, but certainly right. um, that seems pretty common mm -hmm. and that there's just an element of 
like, how do you learn to survive that? You have to build certain coping mechanisms just to, just to not fall to pieces, um, just to be able to somehow figure out how to do life while that's happening. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about all those challenges and, you know, higher ed being something that sounds like it was different for mm-hmm. you. Like, mm-hmm. and then several of your friends get murdered in a, in a short period of time and that there's, there's no space, there's no opportunity. You just have to shove that down and keep going. Yeah, like, I was in grad school, like when this was happening and I was in a counseling program when I won't mention, and they literally were telling me like, you know, like there, you ever heard of the term leaking? Oh yeah. Yeah, like I had a black male, the only black male professor in this department saw me in campus, knew I was going through all these dramas. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, someone want to talk to you about, I just want to make sure, you know, as you go in your professional career, you don't, you don't let leaking be something that comes apart. Instead of saying, Hey man, I hear you having this trauma, people getting murdered, all these things that are happening. How can I like assist you? He wanted to give me a lecture about like not leaking. And I'm like, bro, I'm not missing class because I'm kicking it. I didn't go to Disneyland, bro. Like somebody died. You know what I mean? Like I had a professor that wouldn't let me take a midterm early because I'm like, I don't know why I'm like, who cheats early. Like who wants to take a test early? I want to get more days. I, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I was willing to take it ahead of time and she still was giving me a hard time about that. And I'm like, I'm in a graduate program for counseling and this is what I'm up against. You know what I mean? And like, this is, it was wild to me. Which, I mean, that's another conversation too. <laughs> um, but, but I think it speaks to that idea of you're still getting the message. Like you need to keep all of that tucked in, yeah. which is a very kind of white, idea too right right it's that this very specific idea of what it means to be a a counseling professional and maybe that's a good segue to talk about how have you found yourself doing things differently because you had a private practice a thriving private practice in atlanta um and again not just seeing black folks but seeing plenty of black folks in atlanta and just uh now you're with us at the university of florida counseling center and stuff but just yeah. How do you see things differently? Like what's your role and how does that not fit for you? Yeah. And maybe not fit for black people either. Yeah. I think so. If I'm start, I'm gonna start with UF and I'll go back to private practice. But I think for me here, like I've been reinvigorated by the idea of if there was somebody, if I run into somebody, if I have a conversation with somebody, if I have a referral from somebody or for somebody that is, if they look like me, great. If they, you know, if come from similar backgrounds, whatever, but just the idea of being able to present this counseling idea to someone that may have been in the same position as me, regardless of all the stuff I might've got myself into, but just saying, hey, young black man, young black woman, whatever, like this counseling thing is something that you need to give a try. It is something that can possibly like change the course and the direction of your life. It is something that possibly can help you find identity that can help you get hope that can help you deal with this environment that may not be welcoming or may not be you may not have been prepped for you know what I mean whatever the case may be you know my wife went here undergrad she was a 4.0 in school head of her class all of that she got here she was like I don't know anything so you know you can have a 4.0 in these these urban environments and then you get to a University of Florida you're like oh my my straight A's were like straight C's oh okay so that you know that leads to its own set of like drama and trauma and stressors or whatever so I think that in an environment like this like okay football players yeah they may have their coaches that they can go to talk to and you know whatever but when it comes to interpersonal stuff or something or conduct or things that may be detrimental to the team that might you know that's why you need this personal confidant you know someone that you can kind of express those things to so. Anyway, I just think there's a great opportunity in this environment to introduce this idea of counseling. 
And I know in 2020, counseling is becoming more like widely accepted. It's becoming more pop culture. I mean, you'll see like the Real Housewives of Atlanta, a bunch of black ladies going to group counseling or intervention counseling, marriage counseling. And so when that happens, they're like, oh, okay, well, let's see what this is about, you know? Um, and so it becomes, it becomes cool, but people oftentimes will get the wrong idea of what it's about. Like, it'd be like, you know, the the fun, like, yeah, you know, no, it's going to be real stuff. You might cry. Stuff might get brought up that you weren't ready to talk about. You might have to process some things you didn't want to process. And a lot of Black existence, for me and people that I know, it's like, like you're saying, repression. Like, I cannot think about these things. I cannot talk about these things. I cannot be cognizant and aware of these things because it's already bad enough that it's roaming around in the, in, in the subconscious. But if this is to come to, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't. It's not good for me. But I think that's, again, something that needs to be walked, you know, walked through and talked about. Like, you know, you know, no, no, you need to. Like, you may not want to. I understand you got a test coming up. I understand you got these finals. Okay, let's find a break in between one year, whatever. But we don't understand how suppression of emotions and, like, not allowing these things to be processed can affect our academics. You know? And your physical health yeah. and your mental health. I mean, yeah. and those things aren't as separate as we sometimes yeah. frame them as, but yeah. that, you know, we know that folks who have experienced trauma, like the more traumas and the more aspects of your life where you've encountered trauma, the worse your health outcomes are going to mm-hmm. be. There are real costs. And yet I think the question is, so if it can be healthy and it, it has to be safe, right? It has to be mm-hmm. safe and supportive to be able to begin to process that. And you might feel like you're falling apart mm-hmm. for some of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the question is how can black people begin to feel safe mm-hmm. in counseling given that there's, I don't know, it's just, there's so much to unpack and so many of our counselors are white. Yeah. Yes. So it's beautiful. So I think having the privilege of seeing the plethora of like black phenotypes is the right word. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's like, yeah, that existed in Atlanta because you have a little bit of everything in Atlanta. Right. Allowed me to see what you're talking about in a sense where imagine I'm seeing like I have a a guy that comes into my office. He's an ex NBA player, has to duck to get in the door. He's as wide as my couch. You know what I'm saying? And he gets upset about something, starts raising his voice. I'm I'm like, all right, bro. Okay, cool. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And then afterwards, people knock on the door. Hey, are you are you okay? The the last client that was in here was pretty. I'm like, the man was frustrated, man. He's you know what I'm saying? He's 40 some years old, and life is different than what he thought it would be. And he needed to get that out, you know. And so, imagine if I was somebody else. They might have been hitting that that emergency button, like, come, yeah, you know what I mean? Now this dude's getting arrested. He came to counseling to talk about his problems, he gets a little boisterous. And then next thing you know, he's getting carried off by the police. I mean, that's real. That fear is real. And it's internalized so deeply because it has to be internalized so deeply. Like, is it is it safe to be angry or Mm -hmm. are you going to be punished for being the angry black male or or someone feeling threatened just by you expressing healthy emotion? Yep. Yep. And that was beautiful for me because I feel like people were able to let their guards down with you. With me. Yeah, I guess this is okay to say and, you know, you correct me, but even in my role now, people jump on the Zoom and they see my face like, oh, oh, it's you. Oh, okay. And you, I could literally see them be like, you know, and I've heard like, hey, I didn't know what to expect, but when I saw you, I was, I was all right with that. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, I was there's, like, well, I saw- there's tremendous relief. Just yeah. even, even though it's there. Yeah. Of course you don't have the same story, but mm-hmm. there's, uh, I think there's so much history of 
white people like me indirectly or directly invalidating mm. those experiences, perpetuating those experiences. Mm. And even folks who really do a lot of work to try to respond appropriately and understand and care. It's just that relief of just seeing someone else who looks like you is real. And I, when I think about like who the counselors are that I've seen, I mean, I haven't had to struggle to find someone who looks like me. They all look like me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've gotten to like have nuances of like, mm-hmm. well, that, you know, among these people who look like me, mm-hmm. which, which one connects with me the best right, or right, like, right, right, you right, know, right. that's yeah. Yeah. No, it's like that. I've had a lot of people like, Hey bro, I'm gonna just stick with you just cause like, this is right. You know what I mean? And so, and, and answering to your question before, it's like, you know, in my private practice, I'm seeing a diversity of people, but I'm also seeing a diversity of black males and I'm also seeing a diversity of black male issues. Right. So, first started off it was a lot of like mothers whether they were single mothers or not with teenage sons that were bringing their sons in because something was wrong with the son so i'm like all right let's have this initial session we'll do a little like 15 20 minutes with everybody together hey mom i'm gonna let you go sit in the lobby and then me and son are gonna talk mom leaves i'm like son your mom is wilding your mom is a trip and i'm sure you know this already so my next conversation with your mom is going to be this whole and i go into the whole spiel about um is it iron john or one of these books where not Robert Bly, maybe it's Robert Bly, but he uh, has this book where he talks, takes all of these native stories uh, from all these different cultures around. And one of them he comes up with is the idea of, of the hero's journey. But then there's other thing about like tribal groups that have customs where boys become men uh, have a different way of navigating the world than they do like in the United States, right? Especially black males, right? So black males, since slavery, mother's job has been to protect you from the evils of the world, getting beat for running away, getting chased by dogs, getting like there's a lot of things that happen under the guise of slavery that black mothers psychologically intrinsically from years ago have been shooting their their sons from the world right and like carry that intergenerationally yes 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 and so you get to a point where their job becomes hey my son dad or not around i need to protect you i need to keep you i need to do a certain thing so the beauty of this this story that i'm pretty sure is robert Bly tells is and we'll link to it we'll find it we'll link to it on the show notes yep uh is that the key to a son's freedom is hidden under a mother's pillow right and unless that unless that mother voluntarily gives that key to let the boy's freedom out of the cage he has to steal that key from her pillow and so she's going to intrinsically be trying to like keep you out your room get away from the pillow hey what you doing over there because you're trying to get that key and unless you don't break mama's heart and hurt her feelings, say, hey, mom, autonomy is what I'm seeking. I got to get out of here. You're going to be forever trapped in that cage, your freedom, your life, your everything's going to be trapped in it. And so I have to have that conversation with that black mother like, hey, he's a teenager. He wants to hang out with his friends. He might be interested in girls. He's not trying to be cooped up in the house with you and underneath your wing. And so the problem is you. I don't you know, I don't say that part as, you know, as directly, but like he, your son is fine. Like he is, he's seeking autonomy. Like he's, it is age group. He's age appropriate for not wanting to be underneath you. He probably should have stopped at like seven. You know what I'm saying? But like, whatever. Now he's 15 and now you don't know what to do. And so those type of things are kind of like that specific dynamic. Right. And then, you know, I can go on stories for days. I'm dealing with black bankers. Uh, I got, I had a guy who was, uh, his position, he's very important position in like city, like mayor office type of stuff or whatever. And he comes in, he takes off his watch. He puts his, his phone down, he puts his, his wallet down and he just goes, he just cussing and fussing and yelling. This dude is so reserved, he's undoing his tie. Then he's 
end of the session, putting his tie back on, putting his watch back on, putting his wallet back in his pocket. And he just goes back to, you know, dealing with the mayor or whatever, you know. And so, you know, just just being able to like just the range, the range. Right. Yeah. And also how blackness intersects with all of those people, but in different ways, like it's not the same story. It's not the Mm -hmm. same issue. I wonder even the freedom when your counselor is black and you're black to be able to let blackness doesn't always have to be right at the front. It can just be present in the room and yet can move forward and backwards naturally, Mm -hmm. as opposed to wondering, is this, is this white person or is this going to have any concept of, is there a space for my blackness in this room? Um, how black can I be in this space? How black space? can I be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you talk about confidentiality, because, I mean, somebody might say something, and I know exactly what you mean. Somebody that's like, oh, he's going to go kill somebody. They're like, no, me expressing the fact that I have, you know. Thoughts of harming others. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. I have no reason to act on it. I have no whatever. But now you're trying to, you know, duty to war. You're trying to figure right. out, you know, and I'm like, no, nah, like, I give people the space, man, within ethical guidelines, within all of that stuff to, like, express and say whatever needs to be said and if i don't understand most more than likely i understand what's being said and what's being communicated but if i don't i just ask for clarity and i'm still saying cool calm and collected like i worked at a psych hospital so and i had you know private practice clients that were actively like uh what do you want to say like just hearing hearing things and seeing things that weren't part of consensual reality yeah yeah i like the way you framed that yeah and you know having to be cool like Oh man, Leon is looking over to his side. He's looking back at me. He's giving me those eyes. And he say, what'd you say to me? And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So, and being able to, is you know, older, you know, sizable black man. I'm like, yo, there's, this could go real bad, but let me just stay in character. Let me just be present with him. Let me come in and out of delusion if I need to, but let's not panic. Um, and not saying that you couldn't do that with that same gentleman, but well, your your threshold might be, you know, (laughs) (laughs) might be bigger than mine in that situation, your comfort zone, and also just an appreciation for how, you know, experiences like that, it's like what we sometimes call psychosis in the medical Mm -hmm. field, but that has a history of being very meaningful in indigenous cultures. And there are other ways of Mm -hmm. also looking at that, but can also be a reaction to trauma Mm -hmm. of um, going into alternate dimensions because the current existence is just too overwhelming to stay. So there's lots of possible views and ways to work with even that. Yeah, absolutely. Those client presentations. Yeah. I read a lot of comic books and sci-fi and video games because like sometimes being black, I just, I just want to be over here. I just want to do this for a little while. Like this is an escape, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. That's real. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Hard conversations are hard for a reason. It can be uncomfortable to reach out to someone who is showing signs of distress, especially if they are a friend, family member, or student. Cognito could help you build the confidence to have these hard conversations. Cognito is a 30-minute online training simulation course provided by the CWC to help you notice signs of distress and appear, learn how to talk about these signs, practice sharing your concerns, and motivate them to seek help. Visit counseling.ufl.edu forward slash cognito to learn more and get started. Caring starts with you. So you had mentioned before we started rolling that you would 
wouldn't mind talking even briefly about just the different kinds of mental health mm. options mm. that there are. Um, and I wondered if now would be a good time to share a little bit about that, especially for folks who haven't gotten any therapy and yeah. don't necessarily know the differences either. Yeah. I mean, when I tell people uh, that come see me, cause you know, first when they call me Dr. Parker, I'm like, you didn't read the websites or I'm not there yet. I'm working on that. Right. So they already come in with this idea of, what I am and what I'm about to do, right? I'm like, nope, uh, you can call me John if you like, that's fine. Uh, and so having to explain the difference between like psychiatry, psychology, when it comes to like testing and then like talk therapy, therapist, counselors or whatever the case may be, even having to break down like LCSWs versus, L, you know, you know, you know, counselors, you know, whatever. Um, so generally what I tell people and psychiatrists get mad at me, like I push conversation, not pills. Like that's all I'm, you know, I, I am not a psychiatrist. And so I give the people I do like psychiatry is when you're in a space where you feel like medications is something that can help you put, be in a better space, be in a better place, you know, depending on what part of the country you're from, medications could be found in a leafy green, or it could be over the counter, something that you get a prescription for that your actual doctor prescribes, you know, depending on, again, what state you're in, right? And so they're like, oh, okay, oh, okay, so Dr. Park, just call me John, you're not, you're not giving me medication. No, I'm not giving you medication, I'm gonna give you some conversation, right? I have somebody down the hall that can give you medication. So getting that understood that, hey, we're not, that's not what I'm doing. Then even with psychology, sometimes having to explain like, Oftentimes what separates psychologists from psychiatrists or, or counseling proper is that they're going to be doing assessments sometimes to test for like ADD, ADHD, maybe even some type of autism spectrum disorder thing, you know, something like that to where you're doing testing to kind of figure out if there's some type of, um, I don't want to say like mental thing, but just some kind of like other brain stuff that's happening that may be prohibiting you from learning or reading or writing or understanding or whatever the case may be. Um, that'd be a little more, little bit more in depth than just, just talking things out. That Does that make sense? Is yes, that, that does. There? So they're trying to kind of come up with a diagnosis mm -hmm. and we'll administer a lot of like written tests and even experiential tests where they ask mm -hmm. you to pay attention to certain things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that, that is really different from just, an ongoing conversation about what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. And those other two psychiatrists can do talk therapy. Yeah. Psychologists can't do talk therapy. It just depends on what they're doing. But when we get down to like the nuts and bolts, I'm like, hey, like if you're here and your your goal is to process, to talk about, to learn tips and tricks, to learn skills, to learn ways in which to minimize certain emotional expressions to properly assess them, to properly understand them, to process loss, to deal with grief. Like it's where you come holler at me, somebody like me, so that we can have a chat and it be free from other things. Like I'm not here to call the law. I'm not here to give you pills. I'm not here. I'm, I, I can assess, I can, you know, I can book out my book and say, okay, according to this is what your diagnosis looks like. But for me, I want you to feel like you're talking to your cousin, like you're talking to your uncle, like you're talking to, I guess I wouldn't be big mama, but like big daddy or wh whoever it is that, you know, that you feel comfortable with that's in your family. So that one, it feels like you're in a more relaxed environment, but two, you're, you're open and you're honest because there's no point of coming to see me and lie. Like I see it coming anyway. I can, I can tell it from a mile away and you're wasting your time and your money. And I think that I lead with those type of conversations. When somebody comes to see me, my first conversation is like, hey, like if this isn't a good fit and you feel like we can't do what we need to do, then you need to find somebody else because this is important and you got to have rapport and you got to be able to let your hair down.
as I'm listening to you, I, I found myself thinking about the leaking, mm. you know, um, because mm-hmm. because he's trying to establish a relationship that, again, there, there are differences. And of course, you respect those differences that have to do with ethics and stuff. But the idea of talking to a trusted uncle or a cousin, that it feels really genuine, familiar, safe, even family in, in some sense. How do you, besides what you say, like, what are you willing to share about yourself, John? Pretty much everything but my address. Um, <laughs> I mean, I. That's a great uh, answer. I mean, you know, just you know, not, <laughs> yeah. can't pull up. Uh, yeah. But just the thing is, is that we're trained, some of us, it depends on where you go to school, to deflect when clients, as we would call them, ask about personal things, right? So I was saying before we like, yo, if someone asks, hey man, you have any kids? And, and my response should be, well, what about me having children, you know, is, is important to you? Why, why would it be important for you to know if I have children? Like who wants to, who's gonna, who's gonna sit through that? Like, come on, bro. I'm like, bro, okay, you know what? This ain't gonna work. Like I, if I ask somebody a question, I suppose my counselor about if they have children, you know, because I have children, I wanna know if I'm gonna talk to you about children, how you relate. If you can't answer that question for me, then we don't have much to talk about. You know, I was young when I started in this field. I'm still kind of young, but I would get older people come and see me and be like, man, how old are you? I'll answer the question. And I'm like, but you know what? I got what the books say and I got life experience and I got, old, you know, I, I have enough that I feel like we can have a conversation. And if, if if you feel like I'm too young to understand what you got going on, yes, I am a marriage and family therapist and I've only been married a year, you know, I can still, I can just go to the books if that's what you want. You know what I mean? If it whatever helps you. And so just being able to have those real type of conversations and really telling people like you can, I'm, I'm literally an open book. Like I will tell you about my emotions. I might cry with you. I tell people all the time, listen, if you see me reaching for the, listen, don't stop me. I'll hand you tissues. I have my own tissues, but this is a part of the process. And it's, I want you to know that I'm affected by what you're telling me. And it's not for theatrics. It's, it's real. And, you know, I just feel like I've been in scenarios and situations again, even in my graduate training, like people are just stoic and stone-faced and they have nothing for you outside of, Hmm, that sounds rough. I was just thinking Atlanta lost a lost a really good really good therapist, John. Um, but I bet you left a lot of people uh, missing you up there. I did, I did, I did. But you know, you know, yep, they, yeah, yeah. I, I tried to do are. my best in referrals. I did. Hey, I got some people for you, so you know, yeah. Well, I one thing that's clear to me is, um, and I hope you know, hope hopefully it's shared. We can talk about it afterwards. But I, I hope this isn't the first, the only conversation that we have together. And I see you nodding, so I know I just put you on the spot. But yeah, I, I, there's so much to talk about. But I have like one more question that I guess I want to ask you today, and maybe it's part of a longer conversation mm-hmm. later. But just you have traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your travel experiences and how they uh, impacted your identity, impacted your mental health, maybe continue to in various ways. But that's just such a, um, you know, most folks who are in college, I don't think have had that same mm-hmm. opportunity yet in their lives and, and may never get that opportunity. So yeah. could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was fortunate enough it depends how you look at it. When I was growing up to see probably 42 states by car, 
right? So, but listen, my mom told me that she didn't like flying, but I didn't realize until I was older that we were just poor. So in order to see our family, we had to drive. So we drove to Canada one year, we from California, from Canada, California to New York, California to Florida. We go to Illinois all the time where I'm from. And so that put a little bug in me and it allowed me to see things outside of my backyard. So when I come back from summer vacations and be like, yo, I saw Niagara Falls, yo, da, 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 my homies like, well, we, we didn't lead a block. You know what I mean? So it kind of just at an early age started to give me perspective. And so I didn't travel, I guess you consider Mexico. We go to Mexico every now and again and we drove into Canada, but like internationally in outside of North America, you know, I didn't get to do that. My first trip, I was 28 years old. Well, I take that back. I went to the Caribbean a couple of times, you know, cruises and things of that nature. But like I was 28, when I went on my first trip, I went to Australia for a month. Um, my cousin was getting married. He was marrying someone who was Australian. And I, I was like, you know what? What am I doing? I'm not going to go to Australia for a weekend. So I just took a month off of my life. I put everything on pause. And it was the first, I promise you, it was the first time in my life at 28 years old that I was like, oh, I know what it feels like not to be the lowest man on the totem pole. Unfortunately, I get out there and Aboriginal people are disrespected so much whether from politics to people's individual conversations when I'm on a bus to every time I saw an Aboriginal person, they were either getting arrested or harassed by people. And I was like, yo, like I got into an elevator with an old white lady in Australia and she didn't clutch her purse. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, this is like, I was so liberated, but it came at the expense of me being aware of these other group of people that didn't have these same freedoms on their own land. You know like what I mean? Like even the lower caste. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because right. you'd, you'd grown up as the lower caste, yeah. the lowest yeah. caste in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. Yes. And police weren't checking for me. I was out all night. I was like, yo, this is what freedom feels like. I hear sirens and they're not coming for me. I'm like, yo, this is this is crazy. And so it did something to my psyche. I was like, to my soul. I was like, yo, like this is one, I went to Berkeley. So I'm all, everything's always a lie. Everything's always something. Everything's always whatever. But it's just one of those situations where, it, it allowed me to see more clearly of the education I got. Like, man, when you hear those stories about World War One and World War II veterans that were black, that were treated like kings in Europe, and then they had to come back to whites only, blacks only, colored this, desegregation that. I'm like, these spent these people spent a bulk of their lives fighting for this country, or even just a year or two, a tour or whatever, and then be treated wonderfully on foreign soil, then having to come back. And I, felt, I was like, yo, I feel that experience. Like I haven't done nothing as dramatic and, and noteworthy as fighting for this country. But when I was in Australia and then had to come back to Oakland, I, or no, I was living in Atlanta at the time. I was like, yo, like, I feel like I took a step back to the, the 68 or something. It's like Martin's still marching, like Malcolm's still speaking. Like it was just wild to me. And then that kind of just set things in, in, in motion for me. So now I've been to 16 countries. I've, I've been to six continents, Austra I think, uh, Antarctica is a continent, right? So I haven't been there. I don't have any plans for Antarctica, but I've been to every other continent there is. I've lived in South Africa for two years. I lived in Ethiopia for several months and just traveling and seeing, like when I was in Ethiopia, they called me Faranji. They look like them. So Faranji is foreigner. They're like, you're a foreigner, but you look like us because they don't see a lot of black, of Amer black Americans coming to them and just kicking and being part of the people and living amongst the people or whatever. And so even hearing that, I'm like, oh shoot, like, so you even can delineate between, you know what I mean? Like the foreigners that come here, the foreigners, and then I am also a foreigner, but you, you know, we people like, you know, and so it kind of just, I don't know, my travels being all through Europe, like I said, being all through Africa, just seeing as how the red carpet gets rolled out for me in a way that does not happen here. You don't understand, like I could tear up right now, just thinking about like privilege and like yeah. being able to take my privilege to someplace and being able to utilize whatever I have, my time, my talent, and my treasures for others 
and they're like, yo, thank you. Not that it strokes my ego, but the idea that like, yo, I can't do this at home. I can do this for you. It's nothing for me to do this or do that or take you here, expose you to this or take you on a hike with me or go to this beach or walk around or just drive or just being able to spend a couple of dollars and eat good. You know, it just, it just does my heart so much joy. It does my heart so much good and it brings me so much joy to be able to extend a privilege that is not extended to me in my own backyard. And to, you know, anyway, I, I don't want to get too Well, it, it goes full circle to where you started, that there were these two extremely limiting notions of blackness mm -hmm. and that you had, that then those weren't there anymore. Like, right. and yeah. and you were just you mm -hmm. and people yes. really valued you. Yes, 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 yes. And it's not about like who I identify with and like how I can, be this thug or be the square, or be this whatever. It's like, no, like I, I'm a softy. I love people. I love to do things for other people. I love to give my gifts. And like I said, time, talent, treasure in whatever way that I can for others. And like not having that burden of trying to pretend like it's, a, it's such a freeing thing. And I wouldn't have had that experience had I went to Australia of all places, you know what I mean? Like 20 hours on an airplane, like whatever it was looking like. And to, to again, you know, how my mind works and maybe it's my Enneagram number, whatever, but seeing that people were still, not able to live their less best life, kind of minimize my ability to live my best life, but I still lived my best life, but it was just like, dang, bro. Yeah. All right, man, these aboriginals, man, we got to figure something out for y'all, you know, whatever, but maybe next trip, cause this trip I'm trying to do my thing, but just being able to see the world and just seeing people's experiencing, having my own life changing experiencing and knowing, even when I talk to, you know, some of the students, when I'm talking about, like, listen, I know you feel like this class and this test and this major and this whatever is the biggest thing that'll ever happen to you in your life, three years from now, five years from now, you're going to look back and be like, yo, why was I tripping off that grade? Like, why was I so concerned about that class? Like, why did I allow this professor to take up all this energy from me? Cause he's shady or she's shady. Like, but in the moment it feels like it's, you know, life or death. It feels it's like, everything. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, man, get out of here. I mean, once you leave the swamp, then you come talk to me. We'll, we'll see what's going on after that. You know? I think that's a great place to wrap up for today. If you have any last words you would want to add in general and then i i have one last question okay. for you that's related okay leaving the swamp is not negative right i don't know no no wanna, no okay. it's like it's life beyond college okay. Okay. yeah and the All swamp right. is you know this whatever like someone at another <laughs> college could hear that as well and still okay. take okay. yeah so yeah I, no I, it's okay as i said hopefully there, unless you're me and you never, literally never leave Gainesville, there is okay. life beyond the swamp. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> All right. I just was like, oh, yeah. I just lost the crowd. I just lost. No, the I don't. I hope uh, not. Okay. Um, Plus, you know, the Gator Nation is everywhere. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You're right. That's facts. Uh, but no, I think that for me, takeaway is like, if you're, if you're listening to this, African-American or not, but you know, my black folks, if you're listening, like, or if you know somebody that could benefit that may be black or whatever, I think it's, it's really just being able to have a real like let me introduce you to something that may not be what you think it is that could potentially be something that changes your life forever um and i think that's what counseling is about i think that's what we're about at the cwc i think that's what the university is about it's just like giving people experiences and i think part of what people are missing is this experience the the, the ability the time to be able to chat with someone process ideas bounce back ideas, even if, you know, there's only so many of me's, but even if it's not me, but just being able to like open up to what you're able to open up about. And if you need to find somebody else off campus, whatever it can be that you can relate, that's fine. But just being able to have that first step towards like healing, towards like speaking, to getting things off your chest, to getting the monkey off your back, to being able to talk and process through the life traumas and tragedies. Like I, 
again, Oakland. I left Oakland going to Atlanta because I couldn't take Oakland anymore. And I felt like I left a lot of things undone because I'm like, yo, I can't go to another funeral. I just got to get out of here. But people don't stop dying. Funerals don't stop happening. I'm still getting phone calls. I'm just not there. So if I was able to have been able to process that and talk about that and deal with that instead of running from it, I think my life still is turning out great. But like I possibly could have finished my assignment there if there was still more work for me to do in Oakland. And so I feel like if you're here, if you're listening, if you're part of the university, whatever, like just just lock in, holler at somebody, pick up the phone, call, do what you got to do, because it's a valuable resource. And it's it's counseling is something that is not just for privileged people. It, everybody should be able to partake. I, that's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, okay, last question. Okay. You can go as far with it or not as you <laughs> feel like right now, and I'll probably ask it again if if we don't get very far. But okay. so, how old are you, John? I'm forty. I am forty uh, years. You're forty. I'm, I'm forty. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, we're forty together. Yes. Oh, that makes me happy. Okay, yes, yes. I I thought you were younger. Uh, well, that's the black don't crack. You got no, the way. <laughs> hey, you said it, not me. Uh, um, right. Okay. <laughs> um. So you're 40. Mm-hmm. It's been a wild ride. Mm-hmm. And you, I want to know, given where you are today, mm-hmm. what you would want to tell like the 20 year old mm-hmm. version of yourself, mm-hmm. you, what you'd want him to know. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, is understanding that I don't know everything. And so Kendrick Lamar has a song where he says, well, he just basically says that, you know, I, I know this, I know this, I knew this, I knew that. And at the end of it all, I realized I didn't know S-H-I-T. I didn't know anything because he saw the world. He got out. He had an experience in South Africa. He did all these things once he left Compton and started rapping and realized like, oh, shoot, like all the stuff that I thought I knew, I didn't know. And there's something else out there. There's other answers. There's other things to seek. And I think at 20, man, I just thought I knew everything. I thought I had things under control. And when things were outside of my control or outside of how I knew to process it. If mom, if my mom didn't have enough conversation for me, I was stuck. Like I just didn't know. I, again, I was in a cult because the cult gave me relief and gave me answers to questions that I thought I knew and realized I didn't know and didn't realize they was giving me some other BS, but that's a whole another story. But I think just like take life slow, learn from as many sources as possible, have as many conversations as you possibly can. I know echo chamber is the word now, so I don't know if I would use the echo chamber then, but like just get out of the circle that you're in, get around some older people. I didn't have enough older people in my life. I didn't check in with, with granny. You know what I'm saying? Like she would have been like, boy, what you doing? But again, I thought I knew, you know, and thought I had answers. And so I think growing up only child, growing up latchkey, growing up all these different things, having to be in the streets, having to be street smart, having to be savvy. I just thought I had an answer. And I found myself putting myself more in corners and putting myself in boxes and not being free because I thought I knew so much and I, I was just silly. I mean, whether from, whether from faith and religion things to male, female interactions to whatever, I just thought I knew. And if I would've just sat down, got some game, sat at the feet of somebody, listened. Uh, one of the greatest thing my freshman year, a senior dude took me under his wing for like three weeks, four weeks, and just was like, sat me down. I was like, hey bro, I see you walking around campus. I look, okay, I look 12 anyway. And I was probably the size of a 12 year old. He was like, bro, what you doing on this campus? Oh, are you, you what? Okay, come with me. And he just, it just changed my my whole perspective on things for that those few weeks before he graduated. But after that, it just went back to status quo. Like I didn't see him no more. I didn't have nobody guide me. So I think that like really just being intentional about having some accountability, having somebody that can speak truth to, to when I'm tripping, to, to calm me down and sit me down uh, and just being able to process and having someone in my life that can help me think through things would have been, it would have been amazing.
And now you've become that person for hey, others. Yeah, I'm trying. We're trying yeah. to make sense of it. Yeah. 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 But we all need that. And, for sure. and yeah. Thanks. John, this was a privilege. Will you say those three words mm-hmm. one more time where you said your talent? Your... Oh, yeah. My time, my talents, and my treasure. Thank um, you for yeah. sharing your time, your talents, and your treasures <laughs> with us today. I all mean, right. they, you, you shine. So okay. thank you so much. All right. And I apologize. I, I told you beforehand, I ramble sometimes. So if I didn't answer a question, we just have to do this again. Well, sure. we just, yeah. Key, yeah. yeah. Um, I have I enjoyed every moment with you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you better say that. You better say that. <laughs> Don't leave me hanging, John. Gosh. I Again? enjoyed it every minute. No, no, no. Every minute. It was no. wonderful. I don't need you to do <laughs> All right, bye. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.